Hey, welcome to Socialism for All. This is our office hours stream that we do pretty much once a week, unless we're doing some other kind of stream, over at twitch.tv slash socialismsforA. Today's date is December 14, 2023, just one week till winter, in the final days of fall here. And uh, we're joined by 43 people in the chat at twitch.tv slash socialismsforA. These streams are recorded live pretty much every Thursday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. UTC, for our international audience. And um, yeah, I don't have a ton prepared today. We're just going to chat, see what is on the chat's mind, and talk about some of the things that have been uploaded recently. I have been getting back into the audiobooks um, and just kind of motoring through them. I've been kind of busy in my personal life recently, the, pa the past few weeks. Let's try that again. I've been kind of busy in my personal life recently, the past few weeks, and I had a bit of an opening, so we are just going to motor through some audiobooks, even if they're one or two hours each. And so we just uploaded yesterday the statement of 81 Communist and Workers Parties from 1960. This is a tie-in with the Sino-Soviet Split miniseries that we're doing as a prelude to reading in Verhoja's collection, uh, Palestine Belongs to Palestinians, for obvious reasons that is topical right now with Israel's assault, um, genocidal assault on Gaza. Actually, just uploaded an, uh, not an audiobook, so used to saying that, just uploaded a video that I ripped off of Twitter. Um, the title of it, Israeli Ambassador to the UK, Zipi Hotevli, says that Israel, quote, knows it must erase Palestine as a state. So basically rejecting any possibility of a two-state solution, saying that the Palestinians don't want a two-state solution. Actually, there were factions of the Palestinian um, liberation movement that were amenable to that. Israel sabotaged it. Um, and so it's one or the other, according to Israel, and uh, okay, well, colonizers must go then, and the people who actually live there, Palestinians, um, they get the support. So anyway, you know, and there have been different positions from different communist groups around the world. Um, for example, returning to the 1967 borders and a two-state solution. The problem is that the Israelis and their imperialist backers, the racist imperialist backers that want to use Israel to destabilize the region um, and uh, just interfere and meddle and everything, they are not really amenable to a peaceful two-state solution. Israel is going to keep pushing to expand and colonize more land. And, you know, the reality is that that kind of peace, um, even if you came up with some sort of rationalization of why there should be some kind of Israeli state, even if it were small. You know, the land used to be the Palestinian mandate land under the British Empire. Of course, before that, it was under Turkish control and, you know, variety of different things. But most recently, early 20th century, it was under British imperial control. And then it was handed over. And the United Nations after World War II said, OK, we'll make two states here. No, why are you making two states there? Uh, that's a really bad idea. And of course, it's motivated by imperialism and again, the desire to disrupt uh, and destabilize the Middle East so that the oil and other resources could be 
gotten to and just to disrupt sort of political unity and pan-Arabism and things like that. Anyway, so Israel basically declaring that it's just going to push on to be the one state solution, you know, to just completely colonize the region. So anyway, just uploaded that. I am kind of concentrating more on the audiobooks right now, hence I don't have a huge uh, presentation to give today. But I actually am currently in the process of uploading another tie-in audio with the Sino-Soviet Split miniseries uh, suggested by Flashy, who I see is here in the chat. So uh, thanks for that, and I did thank you in the video as well. It's Lenin on the disarmament slogan and explaining the difference between bourgeois pacifism and class struggle and, and everything like that. So it's actually a pretty good audiobook and came out to like a half an hour of a video. We're going to continue with the uh, upcoming readings. Actually, I can put those on the screen. <clears throat> Why don't we do that? want to use as many visuals as I can, of course, make this appealing for the people who have uh, the video on the screen. Oh, you know what? I don't think I have it. Never mind then. <laughs> anyway, I showed it in the last video. So yeah, the upcoming readings still have a few more, and then Palestine belongs to Palestinians. Have some stuff planned after that as well. Then we're getting back to the basic ML study guide readings. Going to finish those up. It's just things keep happening, and there keep being teachable moments for us to get into various topical things and little mini-series, and anyway, I want to get to as many of those as we can. Uh, why don't we start off the stream today with a COVID PSA. So COVID is still a problem. Actually, you know what? Let me get a different screenshot because I feel like this one doesn't um do full justice to what's actually going on with uh spread of SARS-2 um just load up biobot here for a second I like putting the top one on the whole pandemic like the whole timeline view because it just kind of puts the current amount of COVID in better context I think all right, so on the screen is the current state of COVID in the U.S. As you can see on the top chart, that's the current wastewater level. It's as bad as any of the previous surges. Yes, there is some more immunity, although because we had a long lull this year, although still not as much of a lull as we had in 2021, there is some immunity from pe previous infections and people getting booster shots, but... I feel like with the lull and people might not have been as motivated to get booster shots, I think that people who do get COVID right now are probably getting hit pretty hard with it. That's what I keep hearing. Anyway, um, on the lower part of the screen, you can see that the Midwest and the Northeast are over a thousand uh, copies of virus per milliliter of water. By the time you get into the seven, eight hundred range, you're in a pretty serious surge. So being over a thousand is really significant. So the West and the Southeast are generally lower, although within all these regions, it's uneven. Some areas are going to be higher, some are lower. I was scrolling on biobot.io slash data where you can get the county view. And some of the counties in Florida, for example, like the Southeast is kind of low right now for its overall COVID. But that's everything from Texas and Oklahoma up to Virginia, you know, and down to Florida. So it's a lot of um, territory within that, you know, there was a Florida County that was like at 1200 or 1500. So it just depends where exactly you are. Um, 
anyway, you know, this situation, it's very frustrating to me. We've covered COVID a lot on this channel. It does really serious damage to your body. Even if you survive it, even if you feel like it was just like a mild flu, that doesn't mean it's not doing serious damage to your major organs. It can give you brain damage, immune system damage by killing your T-cells, just like HIV. Not exactly the same way, but those are the only two viruses that just straight up murder your T-cells. Um, so it can cause immune dysfunction for like up to you know, six months to a year afterwards. You become more prone to other infections. Also other things that you need your T-cells for, like fighting cancers before they turn into a big problem, etc. And there's heart damage and stomach damage, pancreas damage, all the other things that uh, the SARS-2 virus can get into, basically any tissue that has ACE2 receptors. So in N95, we trust plan A is wearing a respirator, N95, KN95, if it makes a good seal on your face, P100, whatever, but you want an N95 or better, forget the cloth masks or surgical masks. Um, COVID is airborne. And so even the surgical masks, they're better than a cloth mask, but they still don't have a solid seal around the mouth and nose. And for the love of God, really, just people need to put the mask over your nose. You're breathing through your nose like they're all connected in the back. Uh, you got to wear the mask over the nose, really. But again, surgical mask doesn't make the tight seal. So uh, you need to upgrade to N95, KN95. There's some other standards, I think like FFE2 and FFE3. Anyway, you want something that is really going to keep the virus out. Now, those offer excellent protection uh, for both you and those around you. If you, uh, you get sick and, you know, you could be putting things into the air um, because, again, the aerosols are a concern here. And it doesn't take much. You can actually develop a COVID infection from just one SARS-2 viral particle. So, um, yeah, anyway, those will give you excellent protection. I had somebody asking a question about that in the comments this week. N95s um, give very good protection, actually, against both you, the wearer, and to people around you from you. So we'd be a, a lot better off. The virus would stop spreading if people would mask. Uh, of course, we've been working across purposes on that front with the U.S. government, at least since Biden did Vax and Relax. Um, in uh, May of 2021. Since May of 2021, you know, the Biden government has just been like, masks are optional. Biden even said the pandemic's over at one point. Yeah, it really isn't. Um, look at the amount of <laughs> the virus in the wastewater that will tell you straight out. So as people get reinfected and reinfected, it takes a toll on their health every single time. Put up the reinfection chart. And, you know, if you watch these streams a lot, if you watch these streams a lot, you've seen this before, but I really need to remind people every time you get reinfected, it is upping your odds of developing kidney problems, blood clot problems, cardiovascular issues, lung problems, fatigue, gastrointestinal or digestive problems, diabetes, it attacks your pancreas, neurological problems, that's nerve problems, mental health problems like anxiety, depression, and cognitive dysfunction make it harder to think and plan your day. Uh, musculoskeletal issues. And I want to be really clear about something in this study, which is from 10th of November 2022. So just about a year ago. And uh, that was, of course, the end of a year of lots of COVID spread. But you can read down at the bottom, the cumulative risk and burden of sequelae, those are consequences of a disease, like think 
sequel. It's something that comes after. Sequelae in people with one, two, and three or more SARS coronavirus 2 infections compared to non-infected controls. So that's what the comparison is to, is compared to non-infected control cases, people who didn't get COVID. The, this is how your risk of each of these various ailments goes up. Somebody was trying to say that it was something else. It's clearly labeled for what it is. This is what the study dealt with. Getting reinfected a whole bunch of times is a bad idea as it keeps doing damage to your body and your cumulative risk of developing all these things just goes up with each subsequent infection. So don't get infected. In N95, we trust that's plan A. Plan B is staying up to date on your booster shots. I recently got a booster shot myself. I got the Novavax. Um, if you want to find locations where you can get a booster shot, vaccines.gov, and then just put in your location, and you can um, find find a place where you can get a booster shot. Now, unfortunately, because um, the government is, you know, as shitty as it is, um, that is no longer free, so you're going to need some kind of insurance. The good news is, I think, if you have any kind of insurance at all, it should be covered, and if you don't, I think it's around like 150 bucks. So that is terrible, but they are available. Um, if you can scrounge up the money, uh, it's going to be worth it to protect yourself because your health is all you've really got in the end. You know, your health runs out, uh, you're not here anymore. So you do need to protect yourself and, um, you know, can always pass around the GoFundMe collection bucket. That is, of course, as people have remarked, uh, the real U.S. universal healthcare plan is GoFundMe.com. Um, but anyway, all right, let's get into the chat for today. And I, I have some other articles and things, but, oh, you know what? Before we get into the chat, I usually do this right at the top, and I didn't do it today, and I thought of it when we were getting into COVID. Let's thank the patrons. Boom. Patreon.com slash socialism for all and buymeacoffee.com slash socialism for all here are the names of the supporters of this current month thank you very much for your support i would be doing some kind of content even if nobody supported but i wouldn't be able to spend this much time on it so thank you to the supporters and then of course beyond that whether you have kicked in some money or not engagement counts like share subscribe that helps to boost the channel in youtube or soundcloud or Patreon, or Spotify, any of the places that this content is now found online and uploaded on a weekly basis. Um, it helps to uh, it helps other people to stumble across that content because it ups it in the algorithm. So, want to mention we're up over. We just started doing the Spotify thing this year. That's up to two thousand subscribers. So, if you're on Spotify, you have an account. Head over, subscribe to Socialism for All, and uh, rate the channel. I think it's got like a 4.6 out of 5 right now. So basically a mix of 5s and 4s leaning towards the 5s. Excellent. Um, thanks to all the support there. And then, of course, SoundCloud. It's it's audio only. We don't have video on SoundCloud. Um, hence the name of the site is SoundCloud, not um, Visual Cloud. But, um, yeah, I feel like uh, SoundCloud has a gigantic bot problem. <laughs> like... So many of the people who follow are bots, but it's well over 500 people now, which for SoundCloud is uh, like having a million followers. So anyway, thank you again to the patrons and buymeacoffee.com supporters. Again, a few bucks can get your name on the screen. It can either be recurring or a one-time thing. 
uh, whatever you would like to contribute. All right, now let's get into the chat. So it seemed like a quiet chat today. We are up to 52 viewers now, so that's cool. Um, but when I came in, there was like 15, 17 people in the chat, but there was no text, which is really, really unusual. I was like, is the uh, Twitch window broken or what's going on? All right. Banned a couple of people who are coming in posting free R. Kelly a whole bunch. I don't know if this is what the fucking loser, like, basic conservative white dudes do, but, um, anyway, Beavis and Butthead there are, are now gone. The recent audiobook on the statement of 81 parties was very interesting. Lots of revisionist arguments sprinkled in. I could see why Hoja criticized them afterwards, and, of course, why the Communist Party of China, back in the Maoist days, were, uh, also criticized them uh, ahead of time, too. Peaceful transition, general and complete disarmament, capitalist restoration being impossible. Lots of big mistakes in that statement. Absolutely. Um, so it's basically a three-year update of an earlier document, which we also recently uploaded on the channel, for context so that people could know. This was like one of the major seeds of the Sino-Soviet split, the big rift between China and the USSR under Khrushchev. Um yeah, I think for context, that's important if you really want to study what happened in this major event in 20th century uh, communism. Go to the statements that were some of the political, you know, the basis of the political dispute there. There were other things as well, like a border dispute between the USSR and China and, uh, you know, so, so other material things like that. But just on a basic sort of political line level... There was a big statement, the Moscow Declaration, um, another statement of the International Communist Meeting uh, in 1957, and then this, three years later in 1960, was similar, hit on similar themes, served a similar purpose as kind of like a press release to the world from all the communist and workers' parties. And this one was a lot longer, and it went into more detail, I think particularly about the theory of national liberation that um, you know was current at the time. They also mentioned people's democracy, which was the um, prevailing theory like in the Eastern European countries of how those governments and societies would work. I kind of wish they had gone into more. That's a subject that to me is is really interesting is the people's democracy, because it seems to be tied to the concept under Dimitrov in the Comintern before the Comintern was dissolved of the popular front which I think was really flawed in the way that it was implemented. And um, it seemed to have spilled over into the theory of people's democracy and the, the new democracies of the, uh, Eastern Europe, which, you know, those uh, broke up prior even to the USSR. So I think a major weak link in the chain. Um, unfortunately, in the 1960 statement, they didn't go into a ton of detail, although I would have been interested in that. Um, to have more on record, and I'll be looking for more readings that do delve into that. I know that Mao has the thing on new democracy and stuff. More kind of interested at the moment on the Eastern Europe stuff um, as a theory that maybe was a major weak link and, you know, arguably then part and parcel of um, to the extent that the USSR was implementing quasi-imperialist strategies. Obviously not in the same way that um, capitalist imperialism worked like one-to-one -one exactly. There wasn't the same sort of um, elements in society like the bourgeoisie that run imperialism, but 
as far as commanding a vast amount of economic resources, um, that the party may have been functioning in some of those ways in its dealings with other countries in the international socialist camp and, uh, and things like that. But anyway, yeah, reading those things, they go into a lot more detail in the 1961, and some of that is okay, and some of it they wind up just kind of telling on themselves by giving details, um, in some cases arguably heavily revisionist details of the revisionist theories that are being put forward. And I think, again, that that Lenin um, 1916 piece against disarmament and clarifying uh, that Marxists are not pacifists and so on, and sort of there's like a leave me alone libertarianism kind of petty bourgeois thought from some of the neutral countries in World War One, and you know they just want to be left out of it and and call for an end to the war um, on on that basis, but that just isn't that isn't what Marxists were calling for, and Lenin explains you know what the difference is. So yeah, that 1960 statement um, there's a lot I think to criticize in there, and again I've tried to. Um, see it at least, you know, I don't like a devil's advocate as a kind of exercise. I think that usually that just winds up being a waste of time because you're entertaining ideas that really shouldn't be entertained or you're defending ideas that really like shouldn't be defended and you already know that. I think though, if you want to look at it as, uh, there's two ways to interpret it as far as it was either a deliberate um, effort to steer USSR and to some extent international communist policy more toward reformism and away from revolution. Was that deliberate or was this a mistake, an overestimation, a calculation in terms of the messaging they were trying to put out there to counter anti-communist propaganda that the communists are just bloodthirsty and this and that? And did they sort of overshoot? So I think um, in the for looking at it from the angle of hey, maybe it was a genuine mistake. Um, I mean, first of all, I do think that they should have known better. But, you know, you can look at this as... Um, th there were some new circumstances in that, you know, back in most of Lenin's time, or like the time of Edward Bernstein, um, there wasn't an international socialist camp. And after there was, well, maybe some things could be done differently. However, I think you can see from how they kept doubling down and tripling down on the friendliness to the reactionary social democratic parties, like that sort of rapprochement to reformism. Um, you know, were they really going to get the right wing social democrats to move over to a communist position or were they just compromising the communist position? Hoja, of course, said the latter. And I think that that there's a lot to be said for that. But anyway, we're going to continue with that series, the next installment, after the one that I am uploading right now, which is Lenin on the disarmament slogan, is Mao Zedong's on Khrushchev's phony communism and its historical lessons for the world, then uh, another um, Hoja thing, and then we're going to do the Palestine thing, and then there's a couple more from like the Hoja's lens critical of the USSR. I just want to put those out there because I feel like not enough people, um, whether you end up agreeing with it or not, there's definitely, I think, at least some merit to those arguments that any Marxist-Leninist can get on board with. And I think getting more of that perspective out there and considering it as like a reasonable thing is, is uh, worthwhile. But yeah, lots of big mistakes in that for sure. 
Next comment, the welfare system in the U.S. has been draining my soul this week. Finally got Medicaid to find out they don't even cover the meds I need. I'm really sorry to hear that. Um, I'm fortunate enough to not, you know, require at this point in my life, um, you know, some kind of like really expensive thing like that. I know people get into situations where they need some kind of medicine to live or to, you know, sort of have um, an experience that they can cope with from day to day and they can't get it covered and things like that so um that is the terrible situation in this country that you know of course joe biden current president that uh bernie sanders ended up rolling over for completely against it uh joe biden i just want to remind people we're so far out from this at this point that you know if you ever did know this it's going to be like wow i completely forgot that joe biden campaigned on the public option it was at least on his website <clears throat> that he was for a public option. Did you hear like a single word out of him about that sense? No, of course not. But this is, you know, what Democrats always do to get into office. They make all these promises and then they get in. They just don't do them. You know, it's like Obama with uh, Planned Parenthood or Obama with universal health care. Like they make a lot of promises. They get into office and then they just find any excuse to not do them. This is just how it goes every single fucking time. I personally have been watching this closely for over 20 years myself. I know some of you have been watching it for longer, but the pattern is very, very clear. And all of these ridiculous kind of Voshites and other defenders of the Democratic Party, no, you're just wrong. Like, this, this didn't start five minutes ago. You may have started watching it five minutes ago, but this didn't start five minutes ago. There's a long track record of behavior from the Democratic Party. The party was founded in 1828. That was when they first got into the White House. This system belongs to them. It's their fault as much as it is anybody's. They've been here the whole fucking time. And, you know, if you don't like what's going on in the world, um, that's who you have to blame. There's the Republicans, of course, as well, but they work hand in hand to maintain the system. They're both imperialist parties funded by the richest people in the country and that's who they work for and the lack of uh, universal health care i mean obamacare the affordable care act that was written by the big insurance companies that's not hyperbole they actually wrote it because that legislation codified some changes that they wanted to make in how their system was run and that's what it's all about it's like not really going against the system at all and that's why when Republicans were, you know, rattling the sabers all that time, we're going to repeal the ACA. No, you're not. That was pure theater for their base. Um, first of all, I mean, the, well, the situation we had before the ACA was bad. Um, the situation after the ACA is slightly less bad. Um, you can at least get the kind of uh, bankruptcy insurance. But it's, it's, again, like you have an insurance bill but you don't really have insurance per se. You might have, you know, you'd be paying like 100, 200 or more a month and you still have like a $5,000, $8,000 deductible. It's crazy. And for people outside the US, you probably don't even know what I'm talking about, like a deductible. That's the amount you have to pay out of pocket like before your insurance kicks in. So it's something rather than absolutely nothing. Although for some people, it's just they're paying in and not getting anything back, even when they need it. 
So, you know, it's it's something where previously there was nothing, but it's still a really, really bad system. All right. I still need to listen to the latest audiobook. I was listening to the audiobooks at work, but they let me go earlier this week. Luckily, I was able to secure another job already. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, as they say, the only thing worse than having a job is looking for one. Glad you got into something else and are able to cover your bills. We've been talking about the coming economic downturn quite a lot. I don't, I mean, if people have questions about anything I've said about that in the last few streams, go ahead and ask your questions. I don't plan on going on a big thing about that, but roughly there is an event, um, you know, black swan event on the order of, uh, 2008 looming in the next year or two, and it could start hitting as early as 2024. Basically, um, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates significantly this year um, in order to rein in inflation. That's one, the dual mandate of the Federal Reserve is keep inflation low, and they've settled on a target rate of about 2% inflation per year, and um, maximize employment or like minimize unemployment. So capitalism needs some amount of unemployment. They're not shooting for zero. Um, it's like between 4 and 5% unemployment that they need to kind of keep the system where they want it to be. Um, so you do not have the right to a job in capitalism. In fact, it's guaranteed that at least 1 in 20 people at any given time that needs a job, is looking for a job, would be working a job, just won't have it. You won't have that opportunity. That's part of the system. It's not part of socialism. In socialism, people are guaranteed work and just a completely, completely different thing. But um, so they are raising interest rates in an effort to tame inflation. Problem is, next year, there is double, maybe more than double the amount of corporate debt that is coming due. And so now the interest rates are much higher. So when companies got these loans at like 1%, 2% interest, now they have to go back and refinance them at like 7, 8, 9, 10%. That can amount to a huge amount uh, of extra money that they have to come up with. So they either have to find the cash to pay off these things, um, but a lot of them are not going to be able to afford the new interest rates that are now in effect and their thing expires next year. And then there's an equal amount that's coming due in 2025 that's going to have to be dealt with then. What this means, and we were covering articles about this, um, I feel like back in the spring where they're talking about a quote, biblical event. And one of the metaphors that they used was when the tide goes out, you can see who's been swimming naked. In other words, when the interest rates were so low, even the shittiest non-competitive companies that weren't really profitable, um, they could still get funding in that environment because it was cheap. The banks didn't really care. The lenders didn't really care who they were giving loans to. And so any kind of business could really fund itself. Now, as they're tightening up the lending policies and the interest rates, it's getting a lot more expensive to get that debt. And debt, of course, finances everything, basically. Um, you're going to find out who is actually uh, profitable in this environment, who isn't. That means a lot of companies are going to go out of business, which is going to throw a lot of workers out of business. Um, and I was just posting a thing about how the CEO of Walmart, Doug McMillan, Although I wrote it as McMillian because I just kept thinking McMillian as I was, as I was doing it, um, is talking about that there may be deflation prices coming down as early as 2024. 
and we've talked about the housing market, which is like 20, 25% of US GDP. It's a really significant part of the economy. It's the um, biggest purchase most people ever make. And it's also like a major store of value for people. People draw um, against the value, the equity in their house for sometimes getting additional loans and things like that. It's actually a lot of people right now digging into the equity that they have in their house just to pay for groceries and other bills because there's a lot of pandemic era stuff. I mean, again, as we're just covering, the pandemic is still going on. But as far as when it was being treated as a public health emergency, those policies are ending. So there were mortgage forbearances on some of the government mortgages that ended two weeks ago. So the effects of that aren't going to be seen immediately, but a month, two months, three months from now, as people's cash dries up, because also the student loan forbearance, that just ended in the last two months. So as people get these extra bills coming in that had been on hold for a while, it's not going to take long before, you know, things seize up, the engine runs out of oil, and you get a bang. So um, 2024-25 is looking like going to be a crazy time. Um, there will be a lot more housing on the market. Currently, that market is paralyzed um, and prices are through the roof. But the way in capitalism that things get rolling again is through a lot of pain. And again, if we used a rational economic plan, none of this would be happening. But because capitalism has the boom bust cycle, um, you know, there's these wild swings between up and down and it gets more unstable with time. So we, you know, a lot of people today were sold on 2008 being this like wild card once in a lifetime event. And it's probably going to happen possibly even on a bigger scale um, in, in the next two years, which is really just like 15 years later. So, you know, as people consider their options of living in this country where there's so much economic hardship and there's so much instability and it's so hard to make a plan and it's so hard to have a dignified existence, people start going, hey, is there something else we can do? And after a while, you know, they may become convinced, okay, we need to end the system. The system isn't fixable. It's not. So. Thank you for the streams that you do. It's a highlight in my week. You know, I enjoy them too. Um, the thing for me is, you know, I do these streams and then I edit them later, both to just take out kind of like, you know, parts where I sneeze or whatever. And also just some stuff that, you know, sometimes what happens in the chat stays in the chat. But um, it runs the risk for me of just listening to the sound of my own voice too much. Not like literally the sound, but just uh, it's a lot of me, you know, for me to handle during the week. So sometimes it's like I just need a break from me and go do the audiobooks rather than, you know, kind of putting my thoughts all together and then and then just having my brain so full of that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I like them too. I seriously need to get a union job. I'm so tired of being let go, almost like clockwork. Yeah, I mean, gone are the days of the kind of cradle-to-grave job situation that, you know, if you couple of generations ago was was more of the standard deal. Thanks for the chat last week. I had said I was having some random symptoms, thought it might be COVID, and tested positive for COVID later that day. They were so mild and all over the place throughout the week. 
that I was hesitant to test and tests aren't readily available for me. Um, but it did confirm I had COVID and it allowed me to self-quarantine for the remaining four days of my infection. Well, good. I, and again, if you're in that situation, first of all, do mask in the first place. But definitely, as soon as you find out, put that mask on, you know, make sure not to spread it. Um, and get as much rest as you can, drink your fluids, all that kind of stuff, you know, get the, help your body process the infection. Um, vitamin C can help. I've also read things about melatonin helping. Um, if you take that at night, it will kind of make you sleep. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's some different kind of like cheap over-the-counter non-toxic things that I have read and we've put on the stream in the past. Um, thing about vitamin C, um, it's a water-soluble vitamin which means so there's you more water soluble vitamins and then fat soluble vitamins fat soluble vitamins vitamin a vitamin d vitamin e uh more water soluble vitamins vitamin b well there's like a whole b family and then vitamin c there's actually some other things in the c family as well but the main one um ascorbic acid that is water soluble so if you take um last thing that i had read about it i'm not sure if it's uh still up to date or what with the latest research but Basically, the most C you can take is about a thousand milligrams or a gram per hour. If you take any more than that, your body is just going to kind of pass it. Um, and the only risk I think of taking vitamin C is um, depending on what form of C you're taking, it can give you diarrhea. Uh, it is, you know, sour. It's, a, it's an acid. If you take a lot of it, it can cause like a little bit of irritation and just give you the runs, basically. But... Um, you know, arguably better than um, having a COVID infection giving you brain damage. If it help, you know, even if it cuts a day or two off, that is less um, damage that the virus is doing in your body. So, I mean, you know, be sensible, um, talk to your healthcare provider, but vitamin C is one of those over-the-counter things where uh, they sell it as a powder where you can just easily do a scoop of like a thousand milligrams at a time. You know, you have it every other hour, every two hours or so. Um, probably going to give your body some benefit. And I, I have seen research on that with COVID. Just went through COVID for the second time a few weeks ago. No fun. No, organ damage rarely is fun. I've only had COVID once, but it's memorably awful. Yeah, the only time that I know I had COVID um, was awful, and I got long COVID for 11 months. This was December 2020. And I had horrible fatigue, brain fog, in during the active stage of the infection i was having to lie down for hours and hours a day um by around 3 or 4 p.m i would have to lie down on the couch and then i couldn't move for like an hour or two and then eventually i would get enough energy that i feel like i could get up and i would get up and walk around for about five minutes and i'd have to lie back down again that's how bad it was <clears throat> That subsided to some degree after a month, but I was left with the brain fog. I just couldn't hold a thought in my head. And eventually, again, after about 11 months, I felt like I returned to what I remembered as normal. Like I just wasn't having the impairment. Um, the impairment was really significant and I was aware of it. And I started realizing, oh, hey, I'm not having that anymore. Like, I, I was no longer aware of any impairment. And I don't think it was just I lost awareness. It was, I mean, because it was significant enough that I would be aware of, like, hey, I can't think at all. I'm trying to think right now, and I can't think. 
that stopped happening. But it was 11 months for me. So, I mean, that's not great, you know. Um, but the other thing I remember, feeling like I was hot and cold at the same time, very, very uncomfortable. And again, the just not being able to move for hours and hours a day. I'm the only member of my laboratory that still masks 100% of the time, even though I'm an administrator, none of the scientists wear a mask. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like stupid is as stupid does. Um, I'm sure that these scientists know some of the research, and if you don't implement it, you know, that's on you. Um, you gotta, like, live that truth, you know, implement the findings. Um, smart people doing really stupid things because they're all tired of it, and would rather pretend it's over because Biden said so or some nonsense. You know, when I talk about human psychological and emotional vulnerabilities making us do things that are really not in our best interest, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. You know, humans are clever enough that there's a significant portion of people, when sufficiently educated, that can do amazing feats of chemical engineering, of physical engineering, all kinds of amazing things, you know, advances in biology. But do we have the collective socio-political intelligence, which again, not a big feature of educational efforts in the capitalist world, they'd rather keep our class and social consciousness low. But, um, you know, we're clever enough to get ourselves into a lot of trouble in pursuit of short-term gain. Are we smart enough to get ourselves out of it and see the big picture as well? Time will tell, and we're here to encourage people to uh, get that education, and it's just, it's a must. Have I ever heard of N-acetylcysteine as treatment for COVID symptoms? It helped me immensely with my congestion and breathing. Yes, N-acetylcysteine is also known as NAC, and it is used as an anti-inflammatory. And one of the major issues with COVID is inflammation. So yes, I have seen studies about that helping. I'm trying to think of what it was. I think it was 600 milligrams twice a day, like spaced out, um, if I'm quoting that study correctly. But yeah. One of my sister's friends told her it's selfish not wanting to catch COVID. People are so stupid. Yeah, there's not really much else to say. That's an incredibly stupid statement. I do seriously wish the mask mandates would come back. There's, I think, literally no hope of that, unless there's some major new outbreak of something awful. Yeah, I know somebody that got extremely, that got extremely sick um, recently, and I don't know, it's, it's very predictable. My buddy used to write software for the medical industry, and he was forced to go to hospitals in the middle of the worst era of COVID. He used to be scared of getting infected. I can't believe that these days he doesn't take COVID seriously. People not taking COVID seriously now are just going with the flow because that is politically what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to just pretend like COVID is not an issue, even though it definitely is. So these are people that are just incapable of like separating out from the herd on that. You hate to see it. No, you're not bad luck for the streams. There's always some trolls, if that's what you're talking about. A 
I'm telling my friend all about the studies and the CDC analyzing fecal matter for the prevalence of COVID. Now he even says that masks barely protect you. <laughs> That's absurd. I mean, cloth masks barely protect you, but N95s are excellent. That's been proved a million times over. I don't know. It's just, um, you know, people bending over backwards to justify their bad decisions. NAC is even used in hospitals to reverse Tylenol overdoses and prevent full-on liver, liver failure. Pushes out those toxic metabolites. Amazing substance. Yeah. Wasn't that the one that they were trying to um, ban recently? Let me see this. This is like a couple of years ago. N-acetylcysteine. They were trying to say that it got... Oh, first of all, I found the... Um, I found the study. So if you're interested in N-acetylcysteine and COVID... Title of the study from January, March, 2022, use of N-acetylcysteine at high doses as an oral treatment for patients hospitalized with COVID-19. So if you're hospitalized with COVID, you have really severe um, COVID. They say, <clears throat> they say in the abstract, out of 19,208 patients with a diagnosis of COVID-19 hospitalized, we studied 2017 or about 11% of users of oral NAC at high doses. COVID-19 patients treated with NAC were older, predominantly male, and with more comorbidities such as hypertension, dyslipidemia, diabetes, and COPD when compared with those not on NAC. Despite greater baseline risk, use of NAC in COVID-19 patients was associated with significantly lower mortality, a finding that remained significant in a multivariate analysis adjusting by baseline characteristics and concomitant use of corticosteroids. There were no significant differences with the use of NAC on the duration of hospitalization, admission to the ICU, or use of invasive mechanical ventilation. So they're saying that it did um, in improve mortality, so you were more likely to survive, okay? And it roughly cut the risk of dying in half. However, there was nothing significant about reducing duration of hospitalization, admission to the ICU, or the use of a ventilator. But still, surviving is better. So that was that study. All right, what was I looking up? Oh yeah, they were, um, I think I saw something about trying to get over-the-counter um, NAC band. And yeah, so use of N-acetylcysteine as a dietary supplement. Huh. An update on its regulatory status. So this was all going on last year. And it says, FDA confirms that NAC is excluded from dietary supplement definition and leaves open potential rulemaking to allow the use of NAC in dietary supplements. Anyway, I, I don't have time to go through all the weeds of this right now. Apparently Amazon was eliminating it from sale for a while. So yeah, there was a whole to-do about um, not selling knack and things like that. I started to read Decolonial Marxism by Rodney. It's very good. Excellent. Somebody was just asking me about that, and I, I have not read that. I'm against communism because of something about China, but I want to hear your side. What's so good about it? Okay, we're in capital. Let me turn this around for you. We're in capitalism right now. Uh, this is a highly unstable system that creates inequality, poverty, 
homelessness, all kinds of social problems, illiteracy, um, religiosity, superstition, low education, you name it. Capitalism creates social problems as part and parcel. It's not just deficiencies of like, oh, capital just hasn't been able to improve all the areas yet. Capital deliberately creates social problems, national uh, chauvinism, fighting amongst countries in order to preserve itself and to enrich itself. It's also causing major environmental catastrophes because of its short-term profit-oriented outlook. We do not, we meaning the people of this earth, do not have a future in capitalism. It gets more unstable with time and eventually trends toward having a final crisis from which it absolutely cannot recover. The more unstable it gets and the more crisis it goes into, the more it implements fascist police states and all kinds of arbitrary persecution just to take people's minds off of the real problem, which is capital, private property. And when we say private property, not personal property, but industrial productive property, workplaces, infrastructure, things like that, being owned on a private basis and being operated on a for-profit basis. What we need to do is get out of that, switch to a rational economic plan where we produce to meet human need, producing for use, not profit, and we could get around all of these problems, homelessness, illiteracy, and so on and so on. Inequality of gender and all other kinds of bigotry, all of that's fomented by capital to maintain itself. So there is no future in this system. We need to do something else, which means abolishing the rule of capital. And in practical terms, there's just not that many ways to do that. So we study Marxism-Leninism because it has proven itself to be a clear pathway out of capitalism, which is an imperative for the people on this earth. If there's going to be a future for the species, and not just ours, the environmental catastrophes that humans are creating due to capital-driven industrial activity, um, it's threatening to take out, it's already caused extinctions of many species, and it's just going to keep going, and it's going to undercut the ecological basis of life on this planet. So there is no future in that. We have to end capitalism. So there's your answer. Um, China, by the way, has been implementing more and more capitalism in recent decades. A lot of what they have done is because of that. You can't really compare China and North Korea. Um, so the population of China is large, okay? What is the population of China right now? I think it's 1.4 billion people. going to double check that. Yeah, 1.425 billion people in China. What's the population of the DPRK um, population. 26 million people. Okay. And um, apparently, according to reports, that population is even falling. So North Korea is in a mountainous, relatively small territory with a relatively small population compared to China. China is in a more temperate zone, has enormous material resources, like natural resources at its disposal, compared to North Korea. Um, it's 
geographically proximal to like many more territories, whereas North Korea is just sort of up there with Russia and, you know, it's just more kind of remote and distant. So um, you just can't compare them. It, no, China isn't developed because of the West. Um, development was happening apace under socialism. And then in the late 70s, when they started taking more of the capitalist road, yes, they did more trade with uh, the U.S. and other countries, but that isn't why they're developed. Even if they had not done that, they would still be developed. But um, yeah, because they were developing before that. We can't say exactly where they'd be now if they were still on the socialist road, but no, it isn't because of the U.S., Really looking forward to the Mao piece. It really seems like the revisionism started with Khrushchev. I've seen communists accuse Khrushchev of being a Trotskyist. I'm starting to think they were right. Yeah, I don't know if it's specifically Trotskyism. I know Finnish Bolshevik has a whole video about that. I think it's, you know, up for debate. Um, in the end, it was revision. It Like, it was wrong, whatever the source of it was. I don't know. Um, but... Yeah, this is an interesting series. I'm happy to be getting into, again, like mid to later 20th century stuff uh, more on the channel now that we've covered a lot more of the foundations. I remember Biden campaigning for a bunch of things that liberals have conveniently forgotten about. Absolutely. Yeah, he also said he'd be a one-term president, but here we are. That was another thing uh, Biden promised uh, millennials, the younger voters that he knew he wasn't popular with, that he wouldn't run for re-election. It's just, it's been just a complete stream of bullshit since. I want to say something else about Biden. Let me put this on the screen. As far as the Israel situation, and I do plan to do some community posts about this coming up. So, this is um, an older article from November 2nd. So it's like six weeks old, month and a half ago. Biden's Israel-Gaza approach sidelines the State Department and officials fear the worst. A task force on preventing atrocities did not meet until two weeks into the war, and officials say department leaders are telling them their expertise won't affect policy by Akbar Shahid Ahmed, and this was published at the Huffington Post. So this article is kind of long, goes into a lot of detail about how earlier on into this, um, Biden was basically like the White House was just doing its own thing. And a lot of people in the State Department are not like even the U.S. State Department, not exactly like glowing bastion of democracy and civil rights crusaders around the world. But even a lot of people in the State Department do not agree with what's going on. Yet the Biden White House is just shunting and ignoring them. And then I have another article. Um, along the same lines, when it's convenient, we have these articles. So, um, you know, when the State Department might be critical of the Biden White House on the Israel genocide in, in Gaza, um, they don't listen to them. But when it comes to getting the money to Israel so that they can send $106 million worth of tank ammo to Israel to keep doing what they're doing, then the Biden White House just goes directly to the State Department so that they can circumvent Congress. So it's like, no matter what, um, they just have this 
extremely opportunistic approach to just um, whatever is going to keep the whole Israeli situation going. So yeah, the State Department approves sale of tank ammunition to Israel, bypassing Congress. This was just this past week. So, you know, and there's a picture, it says the uh, in the caption, Secretary of State Antony Blinken speaks during a meeting with human rights leaders at the State Department in Washington on Thursday. So it's just like whatever. They don't listen to the State Department when it's not convenient for them to do so. And then they go just directly to the State Department when they don't want to listen to Congress. What kind of situation are we in now? In the 81 Party's statement on people's democracy, there were definitely Dimitrovite concepts in it. The idea that the working class is split in reality is just talking about how the Social Democrats and Communists are split, but this is a necessary split, which the Comintern's very existence was based on. Also, the idea of trade union neutrality liquidates the point of communists working in reactionary trade unions to bring them over to revolutionary trade unions and gain hegemony over the labor movement. Quote, we advocate, and this is from Dimitrov's Unity of the Working Class Against Fascism, 1935, quote, we advocate and consistently uphold the right of the trade unions to decide their problems for themselves. We are even prepared to forgo the creation of communist factions in the trade unions if that is necessary in the interests of trade union unity. Yeah, there's kind of a lot, as I dig more into the Dimitrov stuff, that is highly questionable and may have laid some of the foundations for some of the problems and rifts that grew later. And I'd be interested if others have thoughts on that to send in links and, and ideas and uh, other readings. My company is terrified because of the high turnover rate. Maybe they should hire more people so this job doesn't take up so much of our lives. Yeah, but then they'd have to pay them. They don't want to do that. My biggest complaint is work-life balance and just one day bleeding into the next. But that's not exactly what the employers want to hear. Yeah, they don't give a fuck. Like, they, truly, they do not give a fuck. Truly. Could you explain revolutionary conspiracism? You've mentioned it a couple of streams ago, and I couldn't find anything about it, so I've been wondering. Yeah, I think there was some commenter that was just saying, like, I don't believe in the masses. I believe that, like, a small group of revolutionaries just need to do some kind of little, like, conspiracy or uprising of this small conspiratorial group, and then and then they need to do that. This is tied to uh, Blancism coming out of the Paris Commune. Engels wrote about it. Lenin wrote about it. Um, some people accused Lenin of being Blancist. These people fundamentally misunderstood. Lenin wrote against Blancism many times, and the Marxist-Leninist approach is in no way Blancist. It relies on the masses. So anyway, that is pretty much like revolutionary conspiracism, also sometimes known as Blancism, is the idea that you can just get like a little cadre of like conspiratorial individuals like launching some revolution just from their small group it just that's that's pretty much it i know nothing of the housing market but is there any advice or better yet any collective action we could do with capital we already have in the market to leverage against the capitalists kind of like the big short film to strategically pull out maybe to use toward our causes again this question may be incoherent but thank you nonetheless thank you for the question it's a sensible thought the problem there, the main problem, 
is that the amount of capital the working class collectively holds is insignificant really compared to like so the stock market about 75 percent of the stock is held by one percent of the stock owners so the massive inequality that you find in capitalism it's you know basically the the main weapon that the proletariat has is withholding labor that is what we have and it's what fuels capital that's capitalists need labor to multiply their capital and get richer if we withhold labor in strategic ways that that is really the better move we don't really have enough capital to do anything strategic that's going to make a big dent in that market so that, that would be my basic answer and as you see people getting into that so i've been kind of watching a lot of things um about you know the housing stuff and and economics a lot of the channels that do this are more libertarian so it's a petty bourgeois mentality when people start getting into this like uh they they think that they're rebels are against the system because oh they're they're not one of the big dogs yeah but you do what they do you're just not as big as they are um you know there's really nothing courageous about becoming a low-grade exploiter Yet when people look at the way that this system is, they do sometimes correctly see that there are mainly two classes, the exploiters and the exploited. And rather than theorizing, you know, a paradigm that goes beyond that, <laughs> rather than seeing the end of capitalism, they just decide to get on team exploiter rather than team exploited. And you'll hear conservatives sum this up as like, in this life, there are wolves and sheep. I'm going to be one of the wolves and whatever. Uh, this is like a really rudimentary grasp of class dynamics in capitalism. And they're making the choice to just become petty bourgeois as their solution. The problem is the petty bourgeoisie doesn't usually fare that well. They may have a few good years, five or ten years, and then get wiped out when, you know, some of their investment bets go south. And yeah, so that when you start getting into things of that ilk, like using capital against capital. These are petty bourgeois, like Lalbertarian stuff. And they don't really lead you anywhere because the market is still firmly, always, at all times, in the hands of the big bourgeoisie, the very rich capitalists. But no, that question was not incoherent. I think I got what you meant. Feel free to ask a follow-up. Welcome to all the people joining the chat. We got 65 people in here, so that's nice. Welcome. Just reading through the chat. NAC, <clears throat> N-acetylcysteine crosses the blood-brain barrier, so it may help reduce the impacts of COVID on the brain. Not a doctor, though. I don't know. Let me see. Since we're looking up studies on N-acetylcysteine, um, blood-brain barrier. Might as well. Uh, so N-acetylcysteine, widely known as an antidote to acetaminophen overdose, is now emerging as a treatment of vascular and non-vascular neurological disorders. NAC is a precursor to the antioxidant glutathione modulates glutamatergic. I was like, there's an extra syllable in there. Glutamatergic, neurotrophic, and inflammatory pathways. Okay, and let's see, uh, COVID, 
if there's anything about that. I will add, there's also a lot of herbs that are anti-inflammatory, like profoundly anti-inflammatory. And uh, use of things like knack and things like that, this is going to be like way out of um, the uh, knowledge base and or comfort zone of many people in the U.S., but there are many studies on herbs that are widely used in Asia and the Middle East, for example, that have strong anti-inflammatory effects and can also be useful in helping to manage that, whether it's COVID or, or some other source. At this point, even if we exercised the most extreme precautions and did a massive lockdown, would it not be hopeless because COVID is now in populations of animals like deer due to wastewater runoff? No, it wouldn't be hopeless at all because right now, let me put the thing back up on the screen. Right now, you have runaway spread. Um, so there's a big difference between runaway spread and let's say the amount of spread that you had, um, you know, during one of the lulls when there was masking in place. Big, big difference. Um, the problem is that these things were never done thoroughly enough to actually eliminate the virus. And, you know, China held out for a long time of protecting itself. But then as soon as it reopened, the entire rest of the world was still really full of COVID and they just got infected again. So it has to be, uh, you know, the virus only exists because it replicates in bodies, either human bodies or other animals that can catch it and the virus can use those animal cells to uh, replicate itself. If you cut it off from those living cells that it needs to be replicated, it there will be fewer copies of the thing and then the existing copies like any other biological substance, uh, get exposed to the elements and they deteriorate and then they become non-viable. So no, I mean, we could get rid of this thing. It's like why SARS-1, you know, was conquered and uh, didn't become, because it was actually contained. That's just not being done this time. So no, it isn't hopeless. And you could still get situations where you get outbreaks, but not a global pandemic on you know, uh, unconstrained spread. There's a big difference between having local outbreaks that are contained and just unchecked global spread. Good news, it's winter and my P100 mask with a neck gaiter, helmet, and e-bike feels great when it's cold out. No wardrobe changes on errands. Yeah, reminder that wearing an N95 or a P100 or whatever also keeps your mouth and nose warmer and that is also helpful for um, not just filtering out pathogens that could give you the common cold or the flu or something, but also keeping your sinus and, well, your whole respiratory system warmer um, by filtering that cold air and keeping your exhaled heat a little closer to your mouth and nose opening due to the mask. Um, keeping your respiratory tract warmer helps the immune system there to work better. It's been shown that when the temperature drops in your sinuses and mouth and throat makes it that much easier for pathogens to take hold because it suppresses the immune function there temporarily in the colder tissue. 
So, uh, yeah, it's uh, an excellent wintertime accessory for sure. Honestly, I wonder how many of us are walking around with unprocessed trauma related to the events of the past few years. Over a million people died, and they haven't really been mourned in any meaningful way. Instead, most of the um, concern has been heaped on the economy. Absolutely. Tons of trauma. You know how many kids lost one or more parents or grandparents due to this prematurely? So, yeah. COVID killed an old roommate of mine. He was a substitute teacher, and that's just one, one of the many crap things that happened to me over the past year alone. Um... Yeah, we should be doing a lot more to mourn this horrible th thing that has uh, been going on and is still going on. And I agree. I think there's a lot of unprocessed trauma. Um, yeah, I mean, just even as I'm talking about it, I can feel it kind of welling up emotionally. I know. So I, speaking for myself, I definitely have some of that. I think a lot of people do, and they just are afraid to get into it. And this kind of, I mean, it's just, we live in a culture of, of fascism and this kind of fascist, um, this sort of knee-jerk machismo, like, just got to be hard all the time kind of thing. Uh, very sort of fascist trait. I mean, it's just not helping things get better at all. We as human beings just don't really work that way. We do have feelings and they have to be processed or you get sick from all the backed up emotions so it's not good for you cops killed my uncle dog uh oh cops killed my uncle dog and sister died gentrified out of my home back injury on top of all the covid shit it's catching up to me absolutely absolutely um there's a lot of just real sadness and i think that a lot of people are angry and afraid but but sad as well and you know i think we don't talk about the sadness enough and i think we should talk about it more because it's um really tragic and traumatizing things and if we don't at least pause to process that and you know take that time um we'll put it this way if we take the time to process those things and actually feel it let it out, express it, we come back stronger on the other side and more prepared to do constructive things about it. Next comment. My workplace had a major outbreak of COVID and like over 50% of a team in this assisted living apartment for people with mental disabilities got sick at once. Yeah, the um, nursing homes, like other assisted living type places, those have been one of the major um, sites of, uh, of COVID spread, causing major stress for the team and endangering both the team and the residents. And what did we learn of it? Same as from the COVID pandemic, no masking, no air filters, some vaccinations. Capitalism, when I was saying before that we don't have a future in capitalism, we don't. You want a future, we have to make it ourselves. It's by going beyond capitalism into socialism. The capitalists will use everything at their disposal to try to prevent that and to keep enriching themselves at our expense and bringing us closer to the brink of ecological collapse, which brings us down to. If capitalism could solve the pandemics in a way that was actually thorough and worked, 
if it could solve climate change, if it could solve any of the other environmental catastrophes, climate change is one of them. We got forever chemicals that cause birth defects detected in the rainwater all over Earth. We got dioxins. We got, you name it, all kinds of stuff. If capitalism could solve these problems, it would solve them. It's in its interest to do that. It makes it look better, and it preserves the material basis, the environment, um, that it needs to function and operate. If there's ecological collapse, that is going to disrupt capitalism as well. If it could solve these things, it would solve them. That it hasn't means it can't. So you want a future beyond any of those things. It's not in capitalism that you're going to find it. I have a question regarding unions and Marxism. I'm finishing Theories of Surplus Value by Marx, and he seems to be against fighting for higher wages for workers. Um, so he... Okay. Uh, value, price, and profit, or wages, price, and profit, is literally a debate where Marx is against somebody who is saying that. So I have not read theories of surplus value. So Marx did wages, price, and profit, or value, price, and profit, while he was writing Capital. Theories of surplus value is actually um, from about the same time. Can you give me a link to that? Because wages, price, and profit is literally exactly against that. He's debating someone making that claim. So I, 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 th I don't know if you're misunderstanding what Marx is saying in that, but if you can give a... Um, and thank you uh, for the link from The Intercept. Um, if you can... I, you may be misunderstanding what he's saying there because he makes the exact opposite argument all throughout value, price, and profit. But if you can give me a link to that, I'd be happy to read whatever it was you were reading and maybe try to explain it. Oh, so about N-acetylcysteine, they tried to ban the circulation of it as a supplement. Pfizer wanted it to be considered as medicine as they had the license on intravenous snack. The whole thing broke out simultaneously with COVID, as, of course, there was more demand for NAC with COVID. Interesting. North Korea has very scarce fossil fuel resources within its borders, which is the major stumbling block to further development in the post-Korean War era. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, it's one thing for the DPRK to be existing and developing with the Soviet Union right next to it and that international socialist camp. It's a very different thing uh, for it in the 90s and on. So like one of the really bad famines that they had in the 90s, that was after the USSR was no longer around to help them out and the US was leading efforts to starve them and prevent them from getting any other help. So, and that's a point that I would like to make um, about you know, for whatever criticisms there were of the USSR and so on, after the USSR ceased to exist, there are a lot of really negative developments, um, I think, for the world and per, for progressive politics generally. So, um, you know, that's just something to keep in mind as we go through the Sino-Soviet split thing. There, at least to me at this point, there are things that I see, uh, particularly as you get into like the late 70s and 80s, with um, some of the Hoja-affiliated stuff, it seems a bit hyperbolic. Um, although, again, I still have a lot more to read on this. 
I think it's inarguable that when the USSR did cease to exist, um, it meant the collapse of a lot of left-wing politics. Now, if you want to make the criticism that that is true, but that the whole development of international socialism would have been much better through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and maybe the USSR would still be around, uh, that I could, I think, definitely get on board with. But Like I saw... Um, there was another channel doing doing a long video about this that I'm uh, in the process of watching. And I think sometimes it's just, you know, sort of people view the Sino-Soviet split as Team China or Team USSR rather than there were some definite uh, problems with Khrushchev and Brezhnev era USSR that may have directly contributed to the downfall of the USSR. Not that everything they did was like patently evil, um, and I think that we should not, you know, take those criticisms like kind of in that vein. But anyway, uh, we'll we'll be doing a lot more on that topic uh, in time to come. I was at a party meeting of the Marxist-Leninist splinter of the Communist Party of Austria today, and we also talked a bit about revisionism and post-Stalin Soviet Union. One of the comrades from Russia argued that a lot of the most experienced communists died in the war with Nazi Germany. So World War II, over 22 million uh, Soviet citizens died. That's really significant, so I agree. Thus, after the war, the CPSU was an easier target for opportunists. I think that's plausible, yeah. Yeah, the Nazis and, I mean, just fascism generally did enormous damage to the USSR. The USSR survived it, but very weakened so yeah regarding dimitrov it's important to keep in mind that anything published after the 20th congress has been significantly edited essentially by khrushchevite revisionists so a lot of dimitrov's stuff on marxist's internet archive needs to be viewed with skepticism if not avoided entirely Interesting. Um, check out the administrator's note on the MIA Dimitrov archive for further information. Now I got to look at that. A number of the documents in this archive are subsequent editions of Dimitrov's works that were edited heavily for republication during the decades following his death. The revisions and omissions are significant and, generally speaking, are indicative of political developments stemming from the changes in the world communist movement following the 20th Congress of the CPSU. We have marked these problematic documents with asterisks so that readers are aware that they are not original versions of Dimitrov's writings and speeches. We hope to procure the unedited editions of these works in the future and place them online so that readers may fully understand and appreciate Dimitrov's original words and sentiments. So that's interesting. Um, and some of the altered documents include unity of the working class against fascism, not Youth Against Fascism, which we have on the channel, not the People's Front, uh, but yeah, the majority of them here. That's interesting. I'll have to go back, and what would be really interesting is to do a an A-B before-after comparison of the edited to the unedited, and, and do an analysis of that. I'd be... I mean, I'd be personally interested in doing that, but um, yeah, we'll have to await those unedited versions. Interesting. Thank you for that. Here is a good work from the Marxist-Leninist Party USA in defense of Leninist United Front tactics. 
It is a good criticism of the Seventh Congress of the Comintern's Popular Front. All right, got the PDF there. Thank you. I highly recommend volunteering. It definitely helps my mom. I think this is on the discussion about retiring and things like that. Yeah, I, I, I've seen a few people who have retired. Um, I feel like especially men that tend to be, I guess, well, the ones in particular, a bit more of um, loners. But yeah, after they retired, just down the tubes. Like, there was a visible difference within months, uh, maybe even weeks in one case. And, uh, yeah, people can get a lot of pride and esteem out of their job. And when you take that away, it can really send people into kind of a crisis and kind of a spiral. So we do need, um, you know, and, and the poorer that people are, the less likely they are to be members of anything, a union, even, you know, a church, a community center, whatever. Um, those things are really important. It's being part of groups is important. People need other people. And especially, you know, older people, you've lived your whole life, you have life experience and wisdom, and not being able to kind of share your time with people, it's pretty depressing, you know, pretty bleak. And yeah, it's important for people to uh, continue to maintain, you know, social um, relationships. On creativity as an income source, I'm seriously considering getting back into YouTube and streaming. I used to teach Blender 3D tutorials, and I have a major interest in the makers movement. Yeah, I, I honestly think the more kind of creative stuff people can have going, it can it can just be good for you in a number of ways. So, sounds good. I tracked down the Lawrence and Wizard 1951 edition of Dimitrov's Selected Speeches, ripped it from the Internet Archive, and transcribed it to EPUB, which is available on Libgen if anyone wants an unedited version of some of Dimitrov's stuff. Yeah, I definitely want that. Uh, the other day I had someone tell me that genocide and apartheid are A-OK -okay because survival of the fittest and Mike makes right. This was in an anime forum. Yeah. Um, fascism. That is fascism. Hot peppers, counterintuitively, very anti-inflammatory. Um, so even beyond that, hot peppers, gastroprotective. I saw some really bad epidemiological work one time from a self-appointed genius who was like, I saw a study once that there's more stomach cancer in Mexico, so I don't eat hot peppers anymore. Oh, and you just like concluded that was the link, even though it's not mentioned at all. And actually there is evidence that um, you know, cayenne, uh, hot peppers generally. It's actually all basically one species, capsicum annuum. Um, there's also, what's the other one? Um, but yeah, it's basically all one species and just many different varieties thereof. But uh, actually gastroprotective, so... I've been seeing some of my Midwestern friends catch COVID recently via social media. How'd they catch it via social media? No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's hard to watch, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's not fun, like, watching people contract a virus that is hollowing them out from the inside. Definitely not.
oh my god, edgelord alert, I'd rather die from COVID-19 than live a fearful life as a follower of Fauci. Yeah, I'd rather you died of COVID-19 too. Um, no, for real though, like, than live a fearful life. Hey, do you, um, drink, I don't know, paint? No, you don't. Why? Are you afraid of drinking paint? Okay, then why don't you do it, man? Oh, because you know it's bad for you? Yeah. So I know COVID-19 is bad for me. So I just wear a mask. There's not fear per se involved. I don't walk around terrified. I just wear a mask because there's a hazard. It's an airborne virus that can do serious damage to your body. Same way, I don't drink industrial cleaning chemicals. They're not good for you. Okay, it's not that hard. The people coming with the Fauci follower. Fauci was actually telling people not to wear a mask for a while in the beginning. You fucking doofus. My husband and I live in Lewiston, Maine, and it's been a rough adjustment to, quote, normal after the shooting. So this was like last month. Uh, it was like a big shoot, like dozens of people, right? Um, the guy drove right by our house. And there were early, thankfully, false police scanner reports that he was shooting up the bar a mile down the road from us. It was a terrifying night. We live within a few miles of both shooting sites. Yeah, I can't remember if I did a community post, but this was um, basically this guy who had been um, experiencing delusions and voices telling him to commit violence and then went and... Uh, there, like he had expressed to uh, mental health personnel within the previous months, I think that he was uh, getting like really specific voices that people at the the site that he would later shoot up were, um, you know, making fun of him or like persecuting him or tormenting him, and he was hospitalized a few months before, and I guess he was from a family where it was one of these like right-wing survivalist compounds and everybody in their neighborhood or like, I guess it was pretty rural. So like, you know, everybody in their general vicinity could hear them shooting all the weapons on their compound and they knew that they were completely nuts. And then, yeah, this guy um, went out and did a mass shooting. Um, speaking of trauma, I'm sure that that's why this uh, came up. Um, sorry to hear that. And, um, you know, just goes to show these things happen even in very rural places, you know, way up in corners of the country, tucked away from big population centers. Nowhere really is um, you know, exempt from that. I went through a lot in the past five in, I went through a lot in the past five years, these past nine months, especially it all hit me in September and I broke down crying. Couldn't even tell you the last time I cried before then. Absolutely. I've had a rough year as well. I feel like um, earlier in the year it was building up on me as like really conscious stress. Like I was just really, really conscious of like, I don't know, just had a lot on my mind all the time. As I was saying, getting off of Twitter definitely helped. Um, and just kind of shifting into, all right, how do I make a relationship with this where, where we're continuing to do the education and continuing to facilitate conversations and involve people in advancing understanding and getting closer to constructive action on these things, you know, while not collapsing. And for me, I was, I was able to kind of get through that, but 
yeah, it can be a lot. You know, I was just saying, I know somebody that um, was just crying all the time and had to go on uh, antidepressants, which they felt is helping for now. And but it's like, yeah, it's um, there's a lot of um, so people who aren't familiar with the term vicarious trauma should look it up, especially if you read a lot of news, vicarious trauma. It's somewhat linked to the concept of burnout, but vicarious trauma is especially people who are in helping professions of some kind, like healthcare, social work, um, you know, anything sort of community organizing involved, things where you're dealing with people in distress. You can pick up the trauma um, and experience it like virtually. It can have the same impact on your nervous system, like as if you experienced it yourself because you're witnessing it, as they say, witnesses of violence or victims of violence. But also, even if you're just talking with somebody, like if you're a therapist, um, you know, talking with somebody who experienced an assault of some kind, I mean, it's pretty intense and it takes a toll on the mental health. But yeah, people not familiar with vicarious trauma, worth looking up. Uh, let's see. Somebody else. The Dollar General I lived a five-minute walk away from got shot up. Scary stuff. Yeah, it's one of those, like, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Grave consequences. You know, the mass shootings didn't really used to be a major feature of U.S. society. But in the last, I'd say, two decades in particular, they became really frequent, really common. I've seen the Sino-Soviet split also interpreted as a projection of the inner struggle between Liu Shaoqi, who was pro-market, and Mao, pro-plan. The plan was greatly diminished under Khrushchev. Oh, so you're saying that Mao saw in Khrushchev what he was struggling against with Liu Shaoqi? Possibly. Uh, I mean, you know, I think you would need more context for me to... Uh, I would need more context to agree or disagree with that, but I can follow the basic premise. Oh, and the person about the uh, using our capital. Thank you for preventing in me a descent into libertarianism. It made sense instantly. There you go. I would love to be retired right now. There's so much I want to do from political activities, language learning, video games, music, etc., this is what we mean about having a dignified life in capitalism. When you're being worked ragged in your life, you just don't have time, or if, even if you have the time, you don't have the energy a lot of times to go into these things. Or where education is uh, requires money, don't have the money necessarily to get educated. And uh, there's so much more that we could all do, but the capitalist class is reserving all of those perks for themselves right now, or at least most of them. Here is the link to Dimitrov's selected speeches. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I'll check that out. What do you think about Javier Malai? He's an anarcho-capitalist lunatic. I mean, what, what else would we think about Javier Malai? I will tell you that if the capitalists knew how much less of their bullshit my e-bike is letting me get away with, they would outlaw those things, even here in Texas. Yeah, I haven't gone down the e-bike road yet. Um, I do like a good bike ride. Um, haven't gotten into those yet. I just, it seems like the average price is just more than I have had as disposable income. Um, average price, I think, being like 1500 right now. I've ridden them before. 
and they can be convenient. Um, but the other problem is the lithium batteries going kaboom. There's actually, if you look up uh, e-bike explosion on YouTube, you will see some crazy videos out of China. This is actually like a problem because um, from at least the videos that I saw, and I don't know if this is perfectly accurate, but basically uh, some of the Chinese cities were trying to crack down on e-bikes because um, it makes the cities look poor or something like that, and there were some other reasons. But basically the other issue is these things are explosive if jostled in the wrong way, uh, kind of like Tesla cars. And they can create gigantic fires. I mean, some of these videos, you wouldn't believe it. Okay, I will avoid the 152 meg PDF. I may actually, you may see a video coming out of this channel doing like a, uh, what did they cut out and why sort of content analysis. So thank you for that. A bicycle plus a local train line, I swear is the best method of transit for cities. I'm glad I live in one of the few parts of the U.S. that has a decent train line. Yeah, few places indeed. The train system in the U.S. is woefully underdeveloped. And of course, not everybody's going to be physically able to use a bike in that way. But many people will be, and that would go a long way toward just a completely different you know, way of looking at transportation. Oh yeah, 15-minute cities have already become... See, I would, I would disagree with this framing. They said 15-minute cities have already become a culture war topic. No, no, no. Let's rephrase. 15-minute cities have already become a point of mindless, knee-jerk, contrarian reaction and panic. Like, there's literally nothing that anyone would ever have to worry about with having cities that are more walkable, more livable, I've, I've lived in some places like that. It was a gigantic step up over living in suburbs where you have to drive a half an hour to get fucking anywhere. And But literally, conservatives will find anything to panic about. Oh, it's the, the UN Agenda 21. They're trying to hurt us. Like, they will just get upset about the absolute wrong things. It's really incredible. Oh, Ted Kaczynski is Uncle Ted. Gotcha, gotcha. No, we covered that in a stream. Like, we're all good. <laughs> that was all That was all we needed to discuss about Ted Kaczynski. They tried to ban gas stoves and rich people freaked. Um, I don't know. Uh, where was that? But also, gas stoves are not that good for you. Apparently, even... Even though they seem to be clean burning, apparently they put out some byproducts into the air that you actually don't want to be breathing so much, I was reading. I put an elastic neck gaiter over my P100. People no longer side-eye me. Dullards think it's just another N95. Excellent. Yeah, masking the mask. Hey, whatever works. Let's talk some positive stuff. Usually I just make like one pot vegetable plus rice, lentil, bread, noodle stuff. But today I made bean patties and they're great. Kind of treating myself. Yeah, let me just say we will get into this in the Cooking with S4A streams. But, um, you know, people who eat veggie burgers at all or just are looking to try uh, something different from meat burgers, uh, 
very, very easy to make, actually. Even if you don't want to get into cooking the beans yourself, um, first of all, something to know is not all beans have the same amount of protein or the same amount of consistency. A lot of beans are more on the mealy side. They're a little starchier and they have lower protein content. Still good protein, but uh, lower. Whereas peas and lentils have about double the protein content and they're lower in starch. So if you're looking for something that's a little more concentrated in terms of protein, um, you can go toward those. Now, peas have a kind of like, like split peas, can have kind of like a waxy, the consistency is not always the best um, for making into like a, a burger, but lentils, excellent for that purpose. So as I was saying, even if you don't want to get into cooking them yourself in a pot, which is not really that hard, particularly with lentils, some beans you absolutely have to soak first. And then the same beans you may have to cook for like hours unless you're using a pressure cooker, which I highly recommend, which is just much faster and uh, takes um, much less effort to do. But lentils, you don't need to, so I mean, it's good to soak them because it can uh, get rid of some of the stuff in the beans that you don't necessarily want to eat. But you don't absolutely have to soak them and even cooking them in a pot dry is like 45 minutes to an hour. But anyway, even if you don't want to do that, uh, buying like canned lentils, look for BPA free stuff. If you can get it, BPA is not really good for you. But anyway, uh, canned lentils in a food processor and then chop an onion small enough that the food processor can get to it. Maybe a few stalks of celery, um, some peanut butter, soy sauce, and then put in some herbs. Put in a teaspoon to a tablespoon of ginger, turmeric, some black pepper, some salt, maybe some olive oil. Run that thing and then uh, you'll get kind of a you know sloppy ground up mass of stuff that's mostly lentils and some uh, you know raw vegetables in there. Then you're gonna take that, put it in a bowl that has some room for stirring and add some flour. Can be whatever you want. You can use wheat flour, you can use really anything. But the point is you just need to dry it up a bit. So add your flour, whatever you're using. And you can use a, a mix of things. You can do buckwheat, you can do cassava. There's all kinds of flours out there. And just a cup or two, usually, um, is probably all you need. Start on the smaller end. You don't want it to be overly dry off the bat. But just get it dry enough and mixed up together that you can form it into patties. And then set your oven at like 350, 375, bake them for, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour, flipping halfway through. And you'll have a tremendous amount of really filling food. It's, it will sustain you for a long time. It's high fiber. Like, it's just good for you. So, uh, there you go. A little bit of a bean patty recipe. Very easy to do. And yeah, you can still have it on a bun with some lettuce, tomato, um, onion, pickles, whatever whatever you want to put on a burger. But can be really good. And there's all kinds of different variations you can do on the recipe. Black beans tend to work well. By which I mean actual black beans, not black soybeans. Um... Nothing against them, but uh, can be harder to find and or cook. But just regular old black beans um, can also be really good for that. Oh, okay. I know that book. I just read The Body Keeps the Score. It really did blow my mind. I couldn't put it down as soon as I started. I think everyone should read it. 
It really triggered some things in me. We repress a lot to get through a day in this society. Yeah, I think the author of that book is Bessel van der Kolk. And it's about how the body like stores memories of trauma in it. And it can manifest as all kinds of like physical ailments. This is true. And, um, you know, I've mentioned before that uh, I do meditation regularly. And if you learn, you know, different kinds of like energized meditation, like a Tai Chi or something like that, this is one of the things it, it can undo some of that stuff. Um, really amazing stuff that I can verify from personal experience. But yeah, it's about how trauma kind of gets lodged in the body. This is one of the things that is known is um, people who experience um, fibromyalgia. It's like tends to be a lot. I mean, that can it can be both ways. Higher amounts of pain can lower quality of life where you are just less happy. But also uh, people with a lot of trauma and chronic depression more likely to develop these body aches. So, yeah, that is that is a is a very interesting book. It's awesome being able to eat and get full without feeling like a gross bucket of grease and lethargy. It's talking about eating vegetarian food rather than just like randomly adding beef to things. Absolutely. I remember when I went vegetarian and yeah, exactly. It was like when you go back and, and re challenge yourself with, you know, like I remember eating a cheeseburger it was like a grease bomb in the stomach. So yeah, very, very different. Uh, you just feel different. You feel different. Can be a little bit to get used to at first, but uh, better in the long run. I live in Arizona. You definitely get some dirty looks for wearing a mask. Wearing a mask always did from day one, but nowadays they take it as an offense. Hey, you're disrupting their delusion. You're disrupting their fantasy that COVID is over. It's like, again, if they really just... I mean, you, there could be... You could have some kind of, uh, you know, you could be on organ transplant, immune suppressing medication. There could be any number of non-COVID reasons why you would be wearing a mask. Some people, like, need to wear a mask because they're on immune suppressing drugs, for example. Um, it's just none of their fucking business. And the fact that they get that bent out of shape about it says a lot more about them than anything. From the unedited Dimitrov speeches, he still says in his report to the 7th Congress that communists and Sokdem should unite in a single party of the proletariat. That's unfortunate, was hoping that was just a Khrushchevite revision. My parents have e-bikes, and they're neat. Definitely. I mean, yeah, they can be really useful. On the topic of lithium batteries, just think of e-cars. Yeah, I mean, they all have a risk of exploding. That's also like um, a while back they were banned lithium batteries from being shipped um, in certain airmail type of things. Or there's like additional restrictions on them um, because, yeah, causing a fire on a plane, that actually happened. So, yeah. I will teach anyone who asks a half hour course on how to buy and not burn down your house with an e-bike. It's very thoughtful of you. Seems like it's just um, like an unusually high risk of that, especially if you're storing a lot of them together. But yeah, I mean, no doubt it can be done. Sounds like they made old school lithium ion batteries for bikes. Big no-no vehicles should at least use LIFEPO4. 
Gas stoves are linked to increased rates of childhood asthma. Yeah, I knew they're, they're, they put out some pollutants in the air. Can you say again the reading material for the debate Marx had arguing for trade unions? Um, by the way, not against unions or workers. It just seems that a lot of the conversation regarding the fair increase in wages for the worker misses the bigger point that all profit and rent should be controlled by the worker as well. Yes, but you, you can't skip straight to that is the point because part of the way that the working class reaches that level of class consciousness is through the fight of of the trade unions. So I would recommend to you Value Price and Profit by Marx. It's actually like the pinned video or one of the, uh, there are two pinned videos, State and Revolution. Value Price and Profit by Marx is the other one. I would also recommend Rosa Luxemburg's Reform or Revolution because the trade unions do play a role. Um, they're not in themselves revolutionary, but no Marxist is going to argue against trade unions. Black bean burgers are really nice. TVP granules make for a really decent ground meat substitute. Commercially, this is used as a meat extender or filler. And you can do this at home yourself by cooking ground meat and TVP together. And seitan, seitan, wheat gluten can make some really impressive meat substitutes. Yeah, I, I tend to go for the um, wheat gluten flour and that does have like a really meaty without actually tasting like meat or like but it's similar in that it's kind of tough and has that like uh muscle like fiber feeling that to me is is kind of the best thing but um yeah tbp or like textured vegetable protein also sometimes called tsp textured soy protein i mean to me sometimes it's just it's not the best. Like, I'd rather eat tempeh or something like that. But, yeah, there's some products out there. One is called Bef, B apostrophe E-F, that I think is mostly TVP. There's also at, like, some uh, specialty stores you can get just, like, a bag of, like, textured vegetable protein. And I don't know. The texture, it's a little tough and chewy, in my opinion. So, you know, some people like it. Welcome to the Cooking with S4A preview. Actually, um, you may have noticed if you listened to the stream that I posted on Monday, which was from like, a, well, two weeks ago today, um, I cut out the like hour or so that we talked about food at the end. I am reserving that and saving that for, um, for that will basically be Cooking with S4A number zero. So that's that will be posted eventually. If you look up Future Lettuce on Instagram, they put out a really good, simple seitan, seitan recipe that doesn't require kneading or steaming or anything like that. Interesting. Um, I mean, yeah, you don't have to do that. I will say when I did the extra step, it came out a lot better, but yeah. <laughs> the S4A chat community kitchen would have some dank eats, no doubt. How many books and articles have you read for S4A? An estimate is fine if you don't know the exact number. I think there are over 300 audiobooks. I'm pretty sure. The best way to check this, let me see, is the All Authors playlist. Because I think pretty much every audiobook gets put into that playlist. YouTube is not real friendly. Uh, 387 videos in the All Authors playlist. 
Some of them are going to be multiple parts, but I would safely say 350 audiobooks at this point. I've been listening to Black Redguard's streams lately, and he uses the term tanky unironically. Interesting. I know he's an educated, informed Maoist, but I was surprised that he uses it since tanky seems to mean anyone who is Marxist. Do you think the term has any real meaning? No, I do not. Uh, doesn't it refer to Tank Guy from Tiananmen Square? No, I, I thought it actually referred to um, the uh, 1956 uprising. Um, and then people like will use it to refer to, quote, Stalinists, except that was after Stalin, so, oops. Um, historical literacy, not, not liberal strong suit often. Anyway, um, I mean, maybe he's using it to refer to the kind of, you know, um, like Jackson Hinkle and people like that. But I would not use that term. I think that term is bullshit. It's not a good term. It has no meaning. It never did. And, um, you know, it, I think there is a certain group of people, that kind of contrarian, multipolarista, um, you know, Jackson Hinkle, Infracell, like Duganist, all that kind of revisionist, like geopolitics, all those people. It would be nice if there was like just a term for those people, uh, specifically like there was Pat Sock and Nasball, but I don't know that there ever will be because they're a bit amorphous. You know, it's a kind of right wing opportunism. Um, they're revisionist. That would be the better term, but. I don't know what he means by it, so I, I don't, you know, and I never know what anybody means by it, because it doesn't have a real meaning. So, yeah, like, it tends to mean people who, like, defend bad things in the name of communism, but that can, that's so varied and broad that it's not really useful. So, I, I'm surprised to hear that he's using that term, you know, unless there was some more specific context, uh, but yeah, no, I think just taking that apart as a part of your vocabulary is there's there's alternative terms we can use that will be more informative and instructive for people that be a bit more educational. Yeah, because there are um, a lot of liberals that will just call anyone a tanky that like doesn't agree with like Joe Biden, you know. So, like, they'll call Republicans tankies. Like, it makes no sense at all. Can you talk about your choice to be vegetarian, political health, or other? Um, I mean, it was, like, pretty early in life. I um, knew a number of friends who were vegetarian when I was a teenager. And uh, so, I mean, I, I first went vegetarian in, in my teens. Didn't really know what I was doing. And... Um, it wasn't like really sustainable. I wasn't really like cooking for myself at that point. And so that kind of came and went, I did come back around to it. Uh, it was more ethical. Like it was kind of, uh, it was for the animals more than anything else. At first, I later found out that there were health benefits, but I, I did not know that getting into it. And yeah, anyway, I've been, um, you know, health topics have been a lifelong interest for me. I developed them a lot more as I got older. T 
TVP Masterclass uses sieve to shake off the TVP dust from the granules before cooking. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of things like that where if you get the dust into it, it'll change the texture uh, significantly. On a medium-low heat with some oil, fry the dry TVP until lightly golden brown. Remember to stir it regularly, then add your broth or other flavorings. Um, what is golden mountain sauce? I've never heard of that. And are, are people really using Marmite and Vegemite? <laughs> really? Really? Because I use nutritional yeast from time to time, but Marmite and Vegemite? Not so much. Um, and then as far as liquid aminos, aren't liquid aminos basically just overpriced soy sauce? But golden mountain sauce, this I gotta look up. Oh, like, oh it's 75% soy sauce. Okay. I've never heard of this. So they're saying I got to I got to look up the ingredients here. Debuted in Thailand in 1954. All right, whatever. So it's mostly soy sauce. Gotcha. Uh, let's see. Yeah, they have the umami flavor, which is that, like, intense savory flavor, uh, similar to meat, but used sparingly. Little can go a long way. This will give you the best flavor and texture. It is more meaty, too. I mean, I don't necessarily like the meatiness, but for people who do, that is good. Yeah, so on the subject of... So there's a difference between, like, soaking beans just to initiate the sprouting process which will make chemical changes that will reduce the phytic acid that can bind to some minerals etc then there's sprouting sprouting is like when you don't necessarily even intend to cook the beans eventually not everything works super well as a raw sprout some things do some things don't um and you can cook the sprouts afterward too uh like if you go into like raw vegan stuff um some people get pretty intense about the sprouts. I don't go that way myself. You've also got to be careful if you're sprouting because of potential mold growing because you're basically keeping wet stuff out in your kitchen for a while and you know that's going to reflect whatever is hanging around in the air in terms of like bacteria and uh, mold and other stuff in the kitchen. If you're not rinsing them in the correct way they can get uh, they can make you sick. But sprouts can be really good, especially some things like broccoli sprouts, um, a lot of health-promoting uh, substances found in them. But yeah, sprouts are healthy. Um, they're just, I find, a bit difficult to work with, even using a sprouting jar. I've just found it difficult. Uh, there's a comment that just says, diagonalist? Question mark. I, I don't know what that is. On the topic of, quote, Stalinism, I can't wait to be called out for being a Stalinist by the main part of the Communist Party of Austria since I started hanging out with the Marxist-Leninist splinter. Again, this is like, well, it's way more specific than tanky, but still not a respectable term. I've seen prominent anarchists on social media spaces being called tankies, lol. Yeah, I, again, it's like, can be anybody that doesn't, follow the main line of the Democratic Party. It really depends on who's using the, the term. Uh, 
All right, we are caught up with the chat right now, and I'm actually going to leave it there today. Sometimes I let the chat run on, but in the interest of uh, not having a million hours to edit, I'm going to leave it there. I want to thank everybody in the chat for all of your contributions today. Always fun to get together, shoot the shit, expand on some topics, and get some links and ideas for other stories. There were some things I was thinking um, of, like maybe following up on the New Zealand uh, story that we had started the other day. One of the uh, viewers who lives in New Zealand has been sending a lot of articles. Um, I'll get to those in a community post or another stream soon. Again, that right-wing government's going to be uh, in power for a while, probably, unfortunately. Uh, we definitely will cover that. But thanks again to everybody, and we will see you in the next video, which there's actually going to be a Lenin video posted this very day. It's actually already uploaded. I just have to change the title and post it. So everybody in the chat right now, look for that. Uh, or, or give yourself a rest, because it's been a lot of S4A today. <laughs> Sometimes I need that too. All right. Thanks again. We'll see you in the next video.